We are completing the Lenten season this week with our focus on the meaning of the cross. And uh, I've really been talking about the idea of reconciliation. So as we prepare ourselves to experience Passover this next weekend and the passion through the rituals uh, and the reality of the resurrection and hope of full restoration of the creation, I want us to consider reconciliation. Well, last week we looked at it um, in terms of the theology of it. I want to review that briefly and then talk about the practice of that. So in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Verse 18, uh, Paul says, Now all thing, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors as though God were making an appeal through us, And we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, last week I suggested and tried to remind you, and I think you guys understand it uh, as well or better than, than many believers, that salvation is not about individual going to heaven. It's really the whole creation that God is in process trying to restore and redeem. Uh, and so the, the creation, including the living creatures on it, are part of that. And of course, we're part of that as well. So in the creation of the whole universe, and now it's salvation, one of those things that's really important is that God is... Saving the nations. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 11. One of the reasons I became an anthropologist was I have always been fascinated with the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And as I studied anthropology, I saw that Every one of those questions that Genesis 11 talks about are issues that anthropology asks. Origin of culture, origin of man, differences in languages, all those kinds of things. And so it seemed to me to be an interesting field to be in as I engaged in my theological study to also study culture and humanity in that, in that sense. They don't always agree, as you know. Now, the nations, in chapter 11, we have the whole story. We don't have time for it. But I want you to look at verses 8 and 9. After the scattering, it says, So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the languages of the whole earth. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad Over the face of the earth. Now humanity tried to pull itself together. Said we'll build a city. We'll stay together. Because we had one culture and one language. And we're going to just sing we are the world. And God said I'm going to undo this. And he changed their languages. Which scattered them. 
The scattering of them put them in different environments. Those different environments and different languages and different ways of life developed the so-called cultures and nations. God did that because they were united against Him. In the Lord, He is reconciling the nations towards Himself. And it's very important that we see that there is going to be, as there always is, a gathering of the nations against the Lord. But there are those who are called out of the nations towards salvation. And we are those people in that sense. And so it's interesting that the first group to be scattered was all of humanity. And then God would select a special people in that context. We find that ultimately this salvation is about the salvation of the nations. Because once we were scattered, we basically said those other people are weird. They look funny. They talk funny. They act funny. Let's kill them. And, and nations learned war. I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2 uh, talks about the uh, restoration uh, that God is going to do. It basically begins in chapter 2 with the, uh, the song that we're going to sing next week. Uh, the, word with, the word which Isaiah the son of Amaz uh, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It will come about in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hill. So God's going to raise up uh, Jerusalem as he establishes the kingdom. He's going to level the mountains before it, raise up Jerusalem so that it is the high place of the Lord. And it says the nations will stream to it. Now we're not streaming text or video, okay? They're going to come to it in that context. So what do those people say? This is not Israel. This is the nations. And the nations will say, Come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, and that we will walk in his paths. And the Torah will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between the nations, render decisions for many peoples, they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Now get this picture. The Lord will raise up Jerusalem. The Lord will be reigning from Jerusalem. The nations will come and say, let us go to the house of the Lord. The temple will be there. And the Torah will go forth from Jerusalem because they want to learn his ways. Didn't sound, doesn't sound to me like Jesus got rid of the Torah. To fulfill it, he's going to bring it into full operation. And the word of the Lord will come from Jerusalem. And we have both the Torah and the gospel that are coming out to tell the people the good news of God's restoration that we may walk in his ways. I love that song. That's our song. Right? So, the nations are part of the salvation. Secondly, Israel is part of that salvation. Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, verse 13 through 16, Paul says, 
I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who trusts, everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He means to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles, to the nations. But it is to the Jew first. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. And then he goes on to say, uh, uh, I've lost my place. I'll get it here. I'm doing 13 to 16. What did I do? I'll get back to that. Let me do this. That's what I did. I jumped down to my other passage. Uh, So in 13 he says, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I plan to come to you and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, to the wise and to the foolish. So for on my part, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also the Greek. So there I got it. That's his context. Though he is the apostle to the Gentiles, and he's preaching the gospel to everybody, he understands that this message is first and foremost to Israel itself. So that's important. Now, I want you to go to Romans chapter 11. Where Paul picks up this theme again. And again in verses 13 to 16. uh, And I'll keep my eye on the place uh, this time. Paul says, I am speaking to you who are Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am the apostle of Gentiles. I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen. And save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also holy. If the root is holy, the branches are holy too. He's talking about Israel as the holy people of God. And he says, my goal in preaching to you Gentiles is not only that you will find salvation, but I am trying to provoke A response in my people that they will come to faith because the gospel is first to them. And so the restoration of Israel is really important. One more passage, Ezekiel chapter 37. In Ezekiel chapter 37, this time verses 16 to 19. That's where I got my eye in the wrong place. Uh, He says this. Son of man, you shall take for yourself one stick and write on it for Judah and for the sons of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick, write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and all the house of Israel, his companions. Then join them one to another as one stick, and they will become one in your hand. Then the the sons of your people will speak to you, saying, Will you not declare to us what this means? And you will say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, 
and the tribes of Israel, his companions, and I will put them with it, with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they will be one in my hand. Now, it's important to see what he's doing. Judah and Israel had been divided. They'd been divided since after Solomon. And even that's going to be restored in the kingdom. And so uh, Ezekiel's told to come with two sticks, one that says Judah and one that says Ephraim or Joseph, and he's supposed to hold them in his hand like this. Now it's one stick. And the people go, what are you talking about? He's going to reunite Israel. He's going to bring Israel back into the fullness that it was supposed to be. It will be at the level of David's glory and beyond because it will be the Messiah of the Lord. So we have the nations restored, the Torah going out from Jerusalem, the word of the Lord. We have Israel restored. We also have a healing between Israel and the nations. So I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 56. In Isaiah chapter 56, beginning at verse 3. Let not the Gentile who has joined himself to the Lord, that's us, let him not say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial, a name better than that of sons and daughters. And I will give them an everlasting name which shall not be cut off. So those who are childless, are going to have a name better than having children in the kingdom of God, following the Lord and obeying Him. And then he says, to the stranger who dwells, uh, who join themselves to the Lord, to minister Him, to love the name of the Lord, to be His servants, everyone who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, I will bring them to my holy mountain. I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. The Lord who gathers the dispersed of Israel declares, yet others I will gather to them, to those already gathered. And that's really the union, in some sense, of the nations and Israel. All at the temple, a place of prayer and sacrifice and obedience and learning and teaching and righteousness for Israel and for the nations. That's never happened. Still got to happen. I want you to notice something. Those Gentiles need to understand the covenant. And they need to understand the Shabbat. And it's one of the reasons that we have worked so hard to make sure that you have a participant uh, experience in that. I don't want anybody in our congregation to stand before the Lord of the kingdom and have to go, okay, so what do we do for Shabbat? Right? I mean, the reality is we are getting a taste of the kingdom in that context 
uh, already through the holy days and through the Sabbaths. And as we move from resurrection through the Sabbaths counting uh, up to Shavuot or Pentecost, we get again that, that reinforcement of that experience for ourselves and for the children. Now, this is more than just the joining of Israel and the nations in the kingdom. It goes beyond the restoration of the kingdom, actually into the new creation. The scripture says that if we are in Messiah, we are new creations. And that is more than just the restoration of this creation. So I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 13, he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off, I talked about this last week, have been made near by the blood of Christ, and he himself is our peace, our shalom, our healing, all that fullness of that word, who has made both groups into one and broken down the barrier in the dividing wall the abolishing in his flesh the enmity that was brought about by the law and the ordinances, so that in himself he might make two into one new humanity, one new man, establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, and by it having put enmity to death. Now, it's really important that you see that he says we both have access Um, in one spirit to the Father. And then he says in verse 19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. This is going to go beyond just the healing of the nations and Israel so that the anti-Semitism stops and they live at peace. But it's going to actually join people from the nations and Israel together as the people of God. And of course, uh, Jesus talks about this, uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you that passage in a minute. So, we've now kind of reviewed what we talked about last week. Reconciliation of the creation, reconciliation of the nations, reconciliation of Israel, reconciliation of the enmity between Israel and the nations. Great theology, right? I could pass a test. But that's not what the scripture's about. We are to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And so we are told in the scriptures that since we have been brought into this new relationship with God, that we are to set our minds on things above and not on earthly things. Now what he means by that, on the things of God, the plan of God, the restoration of God, the new creation of God, and not on the babble nonsense of this world. And that's why we have this not being part of this world, but part of a kingdom. But that kingdom's not full yet. The salvation's not complete yet. The experience is not manifest fully, but it is among us, and we are to, in some sense, give hints and manifestations of that in what we do. We are to live as if that thing's just about to happen and we're ready for it. So how do we do that? This reconciliation will be the full return of Jesus to establish the kingdom. 
return it to Israel, raise the dead, judge the nations. And as all of these truths are to be fulfilled, we are supposed to manifest them in an approximate state in our daily life. And this involves spiritual disciplines because Judaism and Christianity are ways of living life. They are not intellectual philosophies to argue about. We have turned it into a head knowledge and not a life process and a life style. And that's what it's supposed to be. So, the first part of reconciliation is our reconciliation with God. How do I manifest that I am reconciled with God? Well, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, beginning at uh, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. That's faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Know what God is doing. Know who he is. Read his word. Trust in that. And don't be looking for a different answer. In all your ways, verse 6, in all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. How do I do that? I do that by beginning to obey the Scriptures. They tell me how to treat people. They tell me how to handle my money. They tell me how to do family. They tell me how... The Bible is not a book of salvation in the issue is or issue ain't God's baby sins. It's a book of full reconciliation and the ways of the Lord are there for us to begin to approximate and to work towards. And so this spiritual discipline of acknowledging God in all our ways uh, is a way for Him to direct our steps. Because if I read in the Scriptures how He wants me to live and I live that way, who's directing my steps? God is, Right? This is very practical. But people, okay, God, direct my steps. Like a Ouija board. That's nonsense. You've got to know the word and do the word. When you do the word, God is directing your steps. What is God's will? It's there. It's all right there. What God does in causing us to be born again is He gives us a desire. God is in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. But what His good pleasure is, that you don't have to use the force for that. It's written. And we begin to grow in grace and knowledge as we go in that way. So one of the things we do is to move away from a layaway Christianity, moving to the idea that this is a way of life, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, the second thing is, if I'm reconciled with God, I'm also reconciled with the creation. Well, that's an odd one. It's particularly an odd one for many of us because we grew up being told, this, this earth has had it. It's cursed. It's damaged. It's done. We're all going to go to heaven. We're even getting rid of these bodies. We're going to go to heaven. Everything's going to be great. And that's it. No, God's restore, He's going to restore the earth. 
because the meek have to inherit it. So it's, it's important, right? So I want you to look at Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 30. The Lord said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed on the surface of the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed will be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the sky, to everything that moves in the earth, I have given the green plant for food and it was so. Now, we have a purpose in this creation. And that is to be stewards of the earth. The earth is the Lord's. And He set us here to tend it. Not to destroy it. Not to pollute it. Not to tear it up. But to actually manage it for our King and Master. And part of reconciliation is coming to the realization that I have to also, in my daily life, do that. Now, I'm not talking about hugging trees. I'm not talking about fanaticism regarding the ecology. But I am talking about being responsible... In what we do. And that involves some level of recycling. That involves some sustained uh, processes that we need to be aware of. That's about not being cruel to animals. There's a lot of things that are tied into that. That go back to the Torah and to our responsibility before God. So I want you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 22. Just going to give you one. You can search some of the other ones out there. But it's, it's not... Uh, biblical to be a waster of the resources of this creation. And we have a particular responsibility towards animals. They are also included in the Sabbath command. Your work animals shall rest on that day. Uh, So in chapter 22 of Deuteronomy, verse 6, it says... If you happen to come upon a bird's nest along the way in any tree or on the ground, the young ones or the eggs, and the mother sitting on the young or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall certainly let the mother go, but the young you may take for yourself in order that it may be well with you and that you may prolong your days. So what's he saying? He's saying if you wipe out the mother and the offspring, you, you deny the return of that resource. And so there is a stewardship in the Bible of being careful that we don't wipe out species and we don't wipe out animals without realizing that the reproduction of plants and animals is part of our own life and yet we have a responsibility to do it appropriate in that kind of context. Now when you get down to verse 10, 
He says, you shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. You, if you watch videos of other cultures, you see this all over the place. They put the yoke on the animals. And the, then they pull the wagon, okay? Or the plow or whatever they're doing. Uh, animals of different species have different gates. They walk differently. And you put that yoke on them and they start walking differently and it tears them up. Okay? Sometimes I have enough trouble just Linda and I walking together uh, because we have different gates. But in animals, that yoke is tearing them up. And you're not to be cruel to animals. Oh, it's just a dumb animal. No, no, no. You have a stewardship to take care of that animal. And then you can understand what Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, loaded down. I will give you rest. Come to me and learn of me. For my yoke is easy and my burden, the load, is light. Okay? There is, there is a responsibility that we have towards animals. I think I told many of you that I stopped eating veal when I saw how veal was taken care of. That can't be kosher or acceptable in any way that that little animal suffers its entire life. Hung there so that it won't move so it's tender. That just, that just can't be part of this stewardship. And if I'm reconciled to God and I'm now reconciled to the animals, you have to do that. Now, Brent has got a particular... Uh, grace in this direction towards animals. I think she cares more about animals than people. Uh, but the idea is that, that those things are impulses from God. We have to curb them into appropriate balance, but they are part of what we should be doing. So we reconcile ourselves also with the creation. And then one that you're familiar with, because I've talked about this a lot, is we need to practice the communion of saints. Reconciliation with all of our brothers and sisters in the Lord. The scriptures in Ephesians chapter 4 are particularly important for this. Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling wherewith you have been called. That calling is a calling into Christ. And if any man is a Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And we're now in this reconciliation ministry. With all humility, gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I talked about this uh, before, a couple weeks ago, the idea that unity of the body is more important than our doctrine and more important than our practice and more important than our evangelism or witness. Because without it, we do not show the sign of a disciple. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. You worship properly. Doesn't say that. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, that you have your doctrine straight. doesn't say that. By this, all men will know you are my disciples, you drive them crazy with the gospel. doesn't say that. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Why? That can't be faked. That is so supernatural that the world will take notice. 
That you are not of this kingdom and this world. You are of another world and another kingdom. And so that's really what we need to do. We need to practice that. John 13 is where that said. Jesus says, uh, a new commandment I give you. That you love one another the way I have loved you. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you have love one for another. So, this is why we practice our multi-denominational approach and try to understand what our brothers believe and what our sisters practice and, and understand that so that we begin to realize that many of these things are themes, variations on a theme and not really conflicts. You know, I mean, when, when it's all said and done, the person who rolls the toilet paper this way and the person who rolls the toilet paper that way, it's got the same function. Okay? You can argue and come to blows about which way is right and that ignores the relational connection between the two people who are arguing. And we argue over trivial things like toilet paper direction. We just call it theology. And that's a problem. So we must practice the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace with our fellow believers. And that's both Israel and, uh, uh, and the church. So we have to practice this one new man. Now I was asked by a publisher to write a book on one new man uh, several years ago. I thought it would be easy. I started writing some things. This is a difficult doctrine. It's a difficult doctrine because people are in a mindset that is very similar to the problem we have in marriage. Okay? The two become one. Which one? Right? So the church thinks that somehow Jews need to become like Gentiles and Judaism believes that they Christians need to somehow become like them in this unity and Messianic Jews do that a lot too with this trying to get everybody to do everything exact. They go for uniformity which is not unity. One new humanity is not a humanity where there are no nations. It's not a humanity where there is no Israel. It's a, a, a humanity that has a redeemed Israel and a redeemed set of nations that are one in the Lord and one in their doctrine and one in the spirit they have access to, but they're not the same. So how does this look? Well, John 10 gives us a little bit of insight into that. In John chapter 10, Jesus talks about himself being the good shepherd. And in verse 16, he says to his Jewish flock, I have other sheep which are not of this fold, and I must bring them also. They will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. We'll have the same shepherd. We'll, we'll be together. But twofold. There's a difference. 
The nations will be redeemed as nations. Israel will be redeemed as Israel, but together we will be this one new humanity. This is, this is why Paul says to us in Corinthians, if you were called in uncircumcision, don't seek to be circumcised. If when you came to the Lord, you were a Gentile, be a Gentile. And if you came to the Lord as a Jew, be a Jew. Because he saves Jews and Gentiles and we mess up his testimony when we start playing, oh, I want to, be the, I want to play third base. I don't want to play first base. Right? That's ridiculous. But that's what we do because it's about us and not about him. Now, I want you to hear the heart cry of Jesus himself in John 17. Passover is over. Gethsemane is about to happen. And John, who is close to Jesus, hears the prayer of Jesus. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory that I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men you gave me out of the world. They are yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. And they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and, and they believed that you sent me. So I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, the name by which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished except the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have no joy, have my joy uh, made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not in the world. Set them apart, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And you sent me into the world, and I send them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves might be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone but for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, 
are in me and I in you, and they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. This unity is a high priority of Jesus. So we must connect. This is why I connect you with as many Messianic uh, uh, representatives as I can. Because we have to practice this unity and this parallel. And you can't do it by just knowing what somebody else believes or what they practice. You have to do it by living with them. We have to have relationships with people in other churches, in other congregations, in other denominations, and with Israel. And it has to be real, live, face-to-face relationships. Or the oneness will not happen. Well, what about unbelieving Israel? How do we deal with them? We have to deal with them biblically. And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 11. He says that if the, in verse 16, if the piece of dough is holy, the lump is holy. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. But you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. And that is correct, Paul says. They were broken off because of their unbelief. And you stand by your faith. Don't be conceited, but fear. Because if God did not spare the natural branches, He will not spare you either. I know we hide behind eternal security at this point, but you can't hide there. For if God did not spare the natural branches, He will not spare you either. Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you, God's kindness. And if you continue in His kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. And if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree. And boy, America is a wild olive tree. And you were grafted in contrary to nature into the cultivated, the tree that God designed and planted. How much more will those who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? And then he tells us that they were in part blinded so that we could come in. We owe a debt, not only to believing Israel, but to blinded Israel. So that we can pray for them and do good for them and and handle their things appropriately so that they don't see it and and are provoked to uh, dismissal, but are provoked to say, I want this. You cannot unite with Israel with replacement theology. You cannot. 
engage in ignorant religious expressions that are counter to the Jewish Jesus and the centrality of Israel and, and have an effect on them. We cannot, if we're isolated from them, provoke them to jealousy. Or if we misunderstand how to provoke to jealousy because we handle the things of God and of Israel in a matter that makes them uh, think that they're not theirs. You know what happens with little kids. A toy is not being used. Another little kid comes over and picks up that toy and immediately the other kid goes, Mine! Right? That's what we want Israel to do. We must live the approximations of reconciliation so that they go, that looks familiar. That looks like what the prophet said. That looks like, that's mine. And then we can say to them, yes it is, it's yours first. And we've just been humbled to come alongside you in that context. So what we do must be recognizable to Israel as connected to them. It must be attractive to those who are seeking God, and it must be relational. And we have to connect to both Israel, believing and unbelieving, with intentionality. One of the things that gives us that opportunity is this conference that's coming up in Ontario, because it's in our backyard. It will bring many of the messianics to us. We will be able to have the development of relationships. I want them to know you. I want you to know them. I want your children to know their children, their children to know your children, so that they grow up with an understanding of this broader unity of the new humanity. Jews as Jews, Gentiles as Gentiles, all coming from the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And I hope you will take advantage of that and try to participate as much as you can. And not just at this conference, but in other ways as we give you opportunity. Uh, it is time for us to take this ministry of reconciliation seriously in its holistic perspective so that we are reconciled to God, we're reconciled to creation, we're reconciled as, an, as a, a culture and a people, we're reconciled... Uh, to Israel and with Israel, and we await the day when the one new man will be the, the full manifestation that Jesus provided on the cross. Let's pray.